Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 153, Her Body and Other Parties. Today we read the strange, sometimes funny, mostly disturbing, and always feminist debut collection of short stories from the author Carmen Marlo Machado, entitled Her Body and Other Parties. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. And we should note when uh, Ryder said Carmen Marla Machado, what he meant to say was Carmen Maria Machado. <laughs> Did I? I said it wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to read it because the I looks like an L on the okay. book. So, yes. I, should I re-record my... No, it's, it's more amusing this way, don't you agree, <laughs> listeners? <laughs> it's better if you hear me correcting Ryder when he... Ryder is fallible and human, and Todd is just that guy. Well, and also, <laughs> look, people, we're we're picking on Ryder at a difficult time in his life. Ryder is three weeks out from the debut of his play, which I think some of you probably read about in the Vice article that uh, announced that Ryder was still alive. Yeah, uh, I'm alive. <laughs> I learned something. <laughs> Where you are? So, yeah, I was like, I didn't know. He was missing because he's been working consistently since he was 14 years old. But, but I, I think, mean, I think for the for most nice of America, my life ended in 2000. It's been it's been 19 years of Ryder being under a rock. So, it's yeah, nice. that was a weird article. For I mean, I I I I got the request for the interview, and I could tell by the way that the request came in that it was going to be written whether I did the interview or not. <laughs> Uh, because the, the the woman who wrote it and who interviewed me has been, you know, that's just what she's been doing. And I was like the right. third in a series where she already did. It's like all the nineties teen actors, where are they now stuff? Uh, so I, I was really happy that when I talked to her, she was incredibly intelligent and super interview. sensitive. And like, yeah. you know, she, she, she admitted to me, she's like, yeah, it's a clickbait, you know, style of headline, mm-hmm. but the whole goal is to go beyond that. And I was like, well, that's good. And you know, she, she let me talk about and be honest about a lot of things. And then when it all came out, I was like, Jesus, this is long and this is in depth. And it <laughs> felt like, you know, this is your life episode or something. Um, well, you know, it's funny because we all get suckered into like you're reading an article and then at the bottom there's that, um, oh, that out brain thing, you know, where it's like, who's the big breasted star you forgot about? You're like, right. who is that big breasted star? <laughs> um or it's like, you know, you'll never believe what happened to someone. Well, and they do really shady stuff because, like, it, it, the one that I, I've had people point out to me that's related to Boy Meets World is they take a picture of Lee Norris, um, who played Minkus, mm-hmm. and it says, you'll never guess who's transgender now. What child actors became transgender? And it's like, no, Lee's, Lee's a working actor. He's still a man. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, and God. yet, uh, you know, they it's just because when people right. see Lee Norris and, and I, they use a picture of uh, an act, a female actress who kind of looks similar to him. <laughs> so you, you have this moment of like, oh, did that happen? And it's so despicable. Oh, I hate that shit. Um, I, I, yeah. There was a great episode of uh, the podcast Reply All that like looked into like that whole system of clickbait because this guy, like if I remember correctly in the episode, a guy's girlfriend had died or something. It was the worst day of his life. And all of a sudden that became like this clickbait article that was at the bottom of every article he ever read was a link to the worst thing that ever happened to him. Oh, 
And so they eventually ended up, you know, being able to to get his story taken out of this thing. But like that's what that's what it looked like the article was gonna be, but it actually ended up being like this really informative, interesting, well written, compelling article about things I already knew about, but I was, <laughs> I was happy to read them. But like every time I would share the article, I'd be like, just just so you know that He's not been in the witness protection program. He's literally worked every day since the 90s. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in it about fame and, you know, writers constant grappling with it. So there is some explanation of why he isn't riding the child star highway to sell out <laughs> to addiction and sadness yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's a lot of it is is by choice a lot of right. the you know 19 <laughs> years of blankness that people see in my career is, is by choice yeah. some of it is not but mm. you know uh, most of it is that i yeah but yeah so my play is opening that's what we should get out um, yes. in three weeks so if you're in southern california please come it's a very small theater and it's performances over the weekends. Um, it's going to be in, in Koreatown at this company called Theater Unleashed is the theater company that's producing it. Um, very, really small theater, but I'm, you know, I'm super proud of this thing. So and where and I'm can terrified I, that we're in rehearsals right now. <laughs> where, where can not, people go to buy tickets? Um, the Theater Unleashed website. We're going to announce it. Um, well, tomorrow with this episode actually will probably come out tomorrow uh september 3rd so uh, hopefully we'll ticket sales will go on september 3rd so if you're listening to this you can buy tickets right now um oh, at, cool. at uh, theater unleashed and theater spelled the english way with an r-e theaterunleashed.org um and you should be able to get tickets there so please come see it um and you know i will be at a lot of performances probably i don't know how it's all going to work out i've never written a play before so We'll see. Um, I'll, I'll be at least at one performance at some point when Ryder tells me it's okay to go, and I'll be <laughs> I'll be periscoping in Julia. So if you see me with my phone up, it's just so Julia can watch the show as well. Okay. So as the resident theater person for at least the next three weeks before Ryder eclipses me, your uh, elevator pitch is bad. You have not said the title or subject matter of your play. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the title of the play is Never Ever Land, and um, it is a uh, it is a fictional take on the um, Jordan Chandler versus Michael Jackson case from 1993. Uh, I would go. never say the name Michael Jackson, so it's sort of left, you know, it, it, let, let's just say it's about a pop star and a, a very famous pop star and a child molestation case that ended in a settlement with lots and lots of money. But it's primarily a story about the a fa the family. Um, the questions still lingering around this family that settled a lawsuit with a huge star and walked away millionaires. And kind of, it, it flashes back between the 90s um, when it was all going on and 2012 when um, one of them is deciding to go public with a version of events that may or may not be true. And you've, you've fictionalized this, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. So... So it's allegedly, allegedly. about. <laughs> That's a good yeah. way to put it. Allegedly, this play is about a very famous person named Michael Jackson. But so what, we can't so, prove that. Julia, what we need to do is we need to coach Ryder on how not to 
be sued out of his shoes. That's your specialty. <laughs> You've danced with that devil more than I have. <laughs> We're going to teach Ryder something about the slap laws. But don't, don't, don't worry. You'll be fine, Ryder. You'll you know, I mean, a lot of... you. Know, one of my favorite books, which I've talked about on this show before, it was a hugely inspirational book for me, is um, E.L. Dr. Rose, The Book of Daniel, which is mm -hmm. like a fictionalized version of the Rosenberg family. And I just remember what I loved about that book and, and what inspired me so much about it was that this, this idea that in some ways doing a fictionalized version of a historical event or a historical um, set of characters is um, can sometimes get to a, a bigger truth about those events and right. yeah. uh, and, uh, and allows the author to really you know invent just the right amount of details and use just the right of real details in this combination that um, you know really highlights the storytelling and the and mm -hmm. and the the art that's in front of you more so than you know the question of what actually happened or you know and that's that's what was interesting to me is that this became an entryway to talk about fame um, and to talk about you know obviously some personal stuff that I have been through as a child actor so it's all in there um, but you know I, I have a lot to say about celebrity culture and reality TV and that's really what I wanted to talk about um, because I think that there's a direct line from our acceptance as a culture uh, of even the concept of reality TV the phrase reality TV like you know it was never real it was always you know, now they right. call it unscripted, which is smarter because, of course, it's all structured to maximize conflict, to maximize uh, drama. And, um, it, you know, I think that's it's debased all of us in the process. And that's why we have the president we do. That's your elevator <laughs> pitch. <laughs> well, I cannot wait. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. And, and once uh, once the show debuts, we'll talk a bit about the, the experience that you've had um, here on the show as well. Because I'll be yeah. interested to see what it's like for you to be on the other side to watch people acting out your words yeah. was there any inclination on your part to act in it no no i mean like if if it was going to help get it produced if i had to um but no you know i'm not acting anymore um and it's so much more fun now in rehearsals to be watching what these actors can bring we have such a great cast i am I'm just amazed, you know, LA theater has kind of a bad reputation and, and I've noticed like when I go to plays in LA over the last 10 years, they've just gotten so much better and it's become just such a fertile ground for actors and uh, directors. And so for instance, we our director, Michael A. Shepard, I saw his production of a play called Rotterdam, um, which I think won the Olivier Award when it premiered in, in London um, a couple years ago back, but uh, the production in LA was just beautiful and and michael directed it so i was able to get my play into his hands and he jumped right on board so i'm so excited to see what he's bringing to it and then the cast that that we've assembled is just it, they're so brilliant um and you know adding levels and also allowing me to cut i mean that's what's amazing too is like you know you always when you're in your own head you overwrite something and then when you see what actors how how they don't need so many words often because right. they're able to just express it um so I'm I'm thrilled and yeah and rewriting furiously right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is gonna be fantastic. Yeah. And uh, next year at this time, Vice will do another piece. Where is Ryder Strong now? <laughs> One year later. <laughs> One year later, since the debacle. <laughs> Why has Ryder Strong been so quiet? <laughs> Other right. than so let's, this let's move show to let's move week. to Carmen Maria Machado's <laughs> her body and other parties. Uh, yes. it was published in 2017. It's a collection of eight short stories. 
It became a finalist for the National Book Award. It won the Shirley Jackson Award and then just a, a whole slew of other of other nominations and wins. And pretty universally, it's been praised uh, for its originality and its daring. So what did you guys think? Um, I You know, the, the stories are not short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's actually a bit of a misnomer. Um, these are, it's, it's, so there's eight stories in here, right? Is that one, two, three? It's, it's essentially like eight novellas to be perfectly clear. The shortest story in the book is 20 pages, which is a normal length. Um, but like the, the standout pieces in here, which is the, the first story, the husband stitch, um, is 30 pages. There's a short story called especially heinous. That is not a short story. It's 70 pages long, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, you know, it's a weird thing. I'm um, I'm actually writing a short story collection that is due in, today is September 2nd. It's due in 13 days. So I'm in the middle of, of writing a short story collection that is connected by uh, theme, essentially, versus by character. And, and that's a lot of what um, Carmen Maria Machado is doing as well. You know, it's different when you're writing a short story collection and you're writing it specifically to be in a book versus to sell individually to magazines and journals and things like that. You give yourself a different kind of freedom. And so I've given myself the freedom to write eight or nine thousand word short stories in hopes that my editor will cut them. Um, and then reading this, you know, these are this is literary fiction. And, I, and sometimes I forget the literary fiction doesn't require a plot sometimes. <laughs> and um, because I'm really... Yeah, because I'm writing really plot-driven stories right now for this for this new collection. But um, I was in times completely and utterly entranced, like by the first short story, The Husband's Stitch, which I think is one of the best short stories I've read in 25 years. Yeah. And then periodically annoyed, like I am <laughs> by especially Heinous, which is the 70-page short story, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, and then sometimes feeling like, oh, it's a little indulgent, a short story about an artist colony. But at no time was I ever bored. Like, there's a lot of really great stuff in here. And um, the author is clearly extraordinarily talented. Just some big risks that, in my view, don't always pay off. But we can we can discuss that. Uh, what well, about you, Julie? What do you think? I'm really glad I read it because I feel like often I only get short story collections in my pile when I know they're completely amazing. So this felt like fun risk taking. I agree. I I think the like artistic experience that for me it most uh, matched was, and this is very reductionist way of looking at it, but was Black Mirror where you're like, I see the concept, the concept is cool. And a third Mm, of the time, it's like makes me think of it in the new way. And the other uh, some it's like, okay, not my favorite, but I get it. I get it. (laughs) Then the other third, I'm just like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. You had, you got to have a whole book where you explored these ideas, but some of them are much better. I think it's an editing thing, honestly. Some of them are much better realized than others. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the other strange thing, and we can talk about this in more length, is that short story collections... You know, when you you sit down and you read them and you're reading six or seven short stories in a row, that's not generally how the writer has written them. You know, like you're not supposed to sit there and and spend eight hours reading these short stories in a row. Like you're supposed to read one and then stop. And I think in a way that sort of mucks up the experience a little bit. 
and we can, you know, I, I can talk a little bit about sort of how you stack together short story collection to avoid that sort of thing. But I think that's inherent in the reading of this is that, like, I started to see her tricks and I started to see her ticks and that began to grate on me a little bit in places. Yeah. Well, we should talk about what com- what 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 combined or what connects these stories. I mean, the title is actually mm-hmm. really good. It's a perfect title yeah. because it 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 makes you uncomfortable uh immediately. And yeah. and you know, it, it obviously focuses on the female body in a kind of exploitative way, which is I think the the, the most dominant theme throughout all these stories. Um and consistently just the writing made me uncomfortable. The way she describes the body stuff, you know, like even just something as simple as like a nosebleed, I'm just cringing. So she's so effective at that. Like she's so Mm -hmm. effective at writing about um, the female body in particular, but any sort of body stuff, it really made me uncomfortable. Um, And and then completely messing with form. I mean, there's no Mm -hmm. consistency from story to story in terms of, how she's approaching the, the 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 writing itself, and that's that's pretty cool, you know. I mean, and that yeah, puts her into uh, automatically puts her on like a, a you know this is not you'll never right. read a short story collection like this. So if you're looking for something different, if different types of storytelling or different types of fiction is something that you crave, like as a reader, you should read this book. Like I would like this is going to be a book that I recommend to like anybody out there who feels that that short stories are predictable or boring as a form uh, or that fiction has gotten stale lately, which I think, you know, there's an argument to be had that it, mm. it has, especially literary fiction. So I, I mean, kudos for that. I mean, just, uh, you know, that is an accomplishment in of itself. But one um, of my favorite stories, even though I'd argue it's the weirdest story is the resident, which is a really long creepy riff yeah. on a little girl scout rhyme, which I know it will give me nightmares. But that one is written in like a gothic <laughs> style that we all like anyone who's read Jane Eyre, like you immediately fall into the prose. And I would never right. have noticed how deliberate that was if I hadn't read the last the previous six stories that are all doing something totally different. And on that note, I just want to bang through the list and give right. the little like, you know, theme of what each of them are about. Um, so the listeners get a sense of the range here. Yeah. So the husband yeah. stitch is amazing it's a masterpiece i think we can all agree and it's a first person telling of that horror story of the woman with the ribbon around her neck um through her whole lifespan um the second one inventory is like a fun (laughs) light list of people this uh (laughs) narrator has had sex with but it reveals that there's we're in this post-apocalyptic universe um, really fun. I think that's a really easy entry point, actually, for people who would find a lot of these stories disturbing. And that story, like, I didn't realize it was post-apocalyptic until, like, 20 pages in. I was like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> there's a point at which, I know, there, there's a point at which they she's going through this list of people that she'd had sex with. And it's like, no one wants to feel this way during an epidemic. And I was like, yeah, fuck Trump. And then I was like, oh, oh, Todd, you got distracted. (laughs) Um, The third story, Mothers, is, um, and this one got wiped out by the story after that in my memory. So jump in if I'm remembering it wrong. It's a story of. um, This one's hard. it, It eventually is revealed as an abusive relationship of two women who had a child together. Um. I don't know how else to like structure yes. that because it's a very strange story. 
Um, the next story is the SVU one. Put mm-hmm. a pin in that. We'll be back to that insanity. Uh, the one after that is an amazing story about uh, women are fading away slowly and their faded ghost forms like sit in dresses that you would buy at boutiques, which is so crazy. Uh, it reminds me of a uh, Amy Bender story. Yeah, actually. totally. Really um, good. Eight yep. Bites is about a woman who gets stomach stapling surgery and then the body that she left behind haunts her house. Uh, the resident is about <laughs> Girl Scouts. <laughs> terrifying, terrifying Girl Scouts. It's a Girl <laughs> yes, Scouts yes, at Yada. Is what it is. And then finally, um, Difficult at Parties is about a woman who survives a horrifying trauma and then can hear the voices of porn actors. Porn so that's the collection. <laughs> um, and as I read through them all, like we should mention, if you read any review of it, like first of all, this is a really like sex heavy collection um which is cool we haven't really done anything like that before and it's also really gay and queer all around so um that i'm sure that will come up as well as we go through and and if you have an aversion to the word slick as i do this is (laughs) this is not the book for you (laughs) like i got a real i got a real aversion to the word slick it's 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 always the word that makes you. Yeah, I mean, there's so much squirming that I did while I was reading this book. I mean, when you're reading about people like the the women fading and they're getting their skin stitched into a dress, uh, when you're reading in the the Girl Scout one with the when she's getting yeah. these weird pustules all over her body. Yeah. Oh my god! I mean, this 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 collection is just painful. It's painful to read at times. Um, you know and. Kind of in a great way. It's so well, visceral. And so the most realistic story actually in this is the first one. Um, and it's realistic in a metaphorical way and in a literal way, the husband stitch. And I had to Google what the husband stitch is. And then I was like, oh, God. It's in the story. Yeah, I had to I had to Google it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Jesus, why? I'm, I, I mean, I don't have a I don't have children, so. I was not familiar with that. Oh God, what's what's wrong with with men? Can I just ask this question? Well, that's what's it, wrong with men. That's a good summary of the book. Why yeah. don't you, you just answer kind of... the question instead of ask the question? Put some effort in. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Come on, Todd. Now's your chance. Solve the problems. Let's go. No, don't. Uh, I no, believe I don't, it begins don't. with our penises. Yes, that's the largest problem. So uh, the husband stitch is since you've teased it. Now we have to describe it. Um, yeah. After a woman gives birth and she has some very normal vaginal tearing, the doctor, it used to be... We've never said that sentence ever on this show before. Well, I've said it all the time. So. Um, the doctor, I don't know how actually common this is, but um, the husband stitch is the idea legends. that the doctor puts in an extra stitch so that the woman is tighter um, for more pleasurable sex for her husband, um, which is just absolutely brutal and Ugh. insane. Um, yeah. But let's talk about the story in general because that's just one small, very small yeah. part. Well, I think that you know, I think one of the things we we definitely should point out is all the allusions to scary stories to tell in the dark. The yes. Alvin Schwartz collection, which we've talked about on this show before. Um, you know, that had, a, that had the original ribbon story in it, but there's also the hook and, mm. um, cold as clay and 
there, so, I mean, I, th- I think there's like six or, six seven, or seven references yeah. to those stories in this story. Um, and they're really brilliantly woven in. Um, and, you know, I think I think this story is, is I mean, it's the best in the whole collection by far. And um, but it also sets up the sort of uh, just the, the world building, which is she has such a strange way of building her worlds um, that even even after the story is over, you're not sure where the realism ends and the, and the fantastic, you know, the fantastic elements begin. Like, it's very hard to pin down and. Um, you know, like I heard that this book has been optioned uh, for a TV show or a movie or something, and it's like I can't imagine what you could, how you could make these. Because uh, I don't the, know, man. You know, they think anything now. I guess like, so. <laughs> like, there's nothing that's off limits. I guess so. But this, you know, this is just a. Th- th- these are such literary um, techniques that she's using. You know, uh, so d- drifting well, in and out of like first person and and announcing how to read it aloud. Yeah, like that. So that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to talk about. So at the top of the story. Um, in a parenthetical, it says, If you read this story out loud, please use the following voices. Me, as a child, high-pitched, forgettable. As a woman, the same. Mm-hmm. The boy who'll grow into a man and be my spouse, robust with serendipity. My father, kind, booming, like your father, or the man you wish was your father. Mm-hmm. My son, as a small child, gentle, sounding with the faintest of lips, lisps, as a man, like my husband. All other women interchangeable with my own and then at the end of sections um she'll have further directions for the staging of the reading of this um like uh let's see here where's one of them um if you are reading the story out loud make the sound of the bed under the tension of train travel and lovemaking by straining a metal folding chair against its hinges When you are exhausted with that, sing the half-remembered lyrics of old songs to the person closest to you, thinking of lullabies for children. It's it's really weird, but it's also super cool. Um, But it's also, so I said it's the most realistic story, which might seem odd in light of everything that, that we've said. But in fact, the action that's happening to the main character with her husband and with her child um, and with the the emotional and physical relationships between all of these folks is a realistic story, but it's buttressed by the fact that she has this ribbon around her neck that her husband always wants to touch. And she always says, no, that's my thing. And he says, you know, there should be no secrets between our between spouses, all this stuff. And then it concludes with them making love after um, their child has gone off to college and they've rechristened their house. And the husband um, pulls the bow and her head falls off. Um, but well, you just spoiled the whole thing. But I guess yeah, you already well, knew that. Right? But that's <laughs> the part we know. So right, you know, yeah, right. For me, it was like I was like, "Ooh, green ribbon around her neck." I know what that's for. Uh, yeah, but it's but it becomes incredible... a becomes a metaphor, a larger yeah. metaphor than than just what the scary story is. And so when it ends, you know the the final paragraph is. My weight shifts, and with it, gravity seizes me. My husband's face falls away, and then I see the ceiling and the wall behind me. As my lopped head tips backward off my neck and rolls off the bed, I feel as lonely as I have ever been. Like, well, that's significantly more meaningful than the scary stories I recall reading as a child. Yeah, Um, so part of the world building, let me jump in, is that she's not the only one that has a a ribbon. All women have a ribbon. Um, 
around a different part of their body, which we only learn from like one or two other quick examples. But it is obvious that the ribbon is standing for this like holy sacred part of of themselves that women keep, um, you know, keep for themselves and that no one else can touch it and have it. It's just she says, like, it's just for me. Um, right. I and in fact, I do want to read this page that Todd summarized because it's so beautiful and like the experience of going from this uh experience with her husband to with her child is I don't know it was emotionally huge for me so she has this baby it's a son and there's a few pages of like absolutely rhapsodic happiness with this baby but then here we go uh her husband is trying to get her to have sex with him and he says come back here no I say you'll touch my ribbon He stands up and tucks himself into his pants, zipping them up. A wife, he said, should have no secrets from her husband. I don't have any secrets, I tell him. The ribbon. The ribbon is not a secret. It's just mine. Were you born with it? Why your throat? Why is it green? I do not answer. He is silent for a long minute. Then a wife should have no secrets. My nose grows hot. I do do not want to cry. I've given you everything you have ever asked for, I say. Am I not allowed this one thing? I want to know. You think you want to know, I say, but you don't. Why do you want to hide it from me? I'm not hiding it. It just isn't yours. He gets down very close to me and I pull back from the smell of bourbon. I hear a creak and we both look up to see our son's feet vanishing up the staircase. When my husband goes to sleep that night, he does so with a hot and burning anger that falls away as soon as he is truly dreaming. I'm up for a long time listening to his breathing, wondering if perhaps men have ribbons that do not look like ribbons. Maybe we're all marked in some way, even if it's impossible to see. The next day, this is my favorite part. The next day, our son touches my throat and asks about my ribbon. He tries to pull at it. And though it pains me, I have to make it forbidden to him. When he reaches for it, I shake a can full of pennies. It crashes discordantly and he withdraws and weeps. Something is lost between us and I never find it again. If you're reading this story out loud, prepare a soda can full of pennies. When you arrive at this moment, shake it loudly in the face of the people closest to you. Observe their expression of startled fear and then betrayal. Notice how they never look at you exactly the same way for the rest of your days. That description of what it is like to raise a son who suddenly becomes curious about your sense of sexuality or womanhood or privacy mm-hmm. and going from yeah. like your one person to one person like prodding into the edge <laughs> just crushed yeah, me I, that it's i think one of the the best parts of, i mean because you know obviously like like you were pointing out todd it's this metaphor for the exploitation of women's bodies or the or the access that men feel that they have to women's right. bodies and what's so brilliant about it is that the husband is not an abusive asshole you know it, the actual the, the story begins with her love for him and her seducing him in a way, you know, her mm-hmm. falling for him. So it's it, it's really smart, you know, it, and more subtle and interesting than like, you know, if if it were just like, I have a, you know, horrible husband who wants to always, you know, have sex with me and have his way. It, it's more messy than that. It's more human right. and more realistic um, in terms of like, you know, the way people actually do, you know, crave access to each other's bodies or, you know, it's really, really interesting. and. Yeah, that scene, what you just read, Julia, is like, that's the the core of the entire Mm -hmm. story and Mm -hmm. this entire book, I think. 
And it's also why I think this story, um, I mean, it's just an incredible piece of work. It's one of these stories that I have to, I have to redo my syllabus, as yeah. it were, you know, so I can include this for some of my students to read. But it, it takes big risks. It has a huge metaphor. Um, but it also boils down right. to, to being about a character and about being a, a, first and foremost, about a person and not the image of the person. Right. So as a, like when I'm teaching creative writing and teaching short story writing, and, and oftentimes my students want to write surreal fiction and be like, well, I'm going to set this on the head of a pen. Well, that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't fucking mean anything, you know, like right. don't set your fucking story on the head of a pen. Do something like this. You know, if you're going to write surrealist fiction, you know, use surrealism for to stand in the place for the things that you cannot espouse in, in reality. Right. And she does that extraordinarily well. Um, like to the level that I think a comparison to Amy yeah. Bender, but also Kelly Link. And I think Kelly Link is more accurate um, when you look at stories like The Resident, which is the weird Girl Scout story. Kelly Link is a really close approximation for where um, Machado probably is going to find herself for the rest of her career. And, it, you know, it's weird. So like Kelly Link, she, uh, Carmen Maria Machado, her book was a finalist for the Shirley Jackson Award, which is given for horror, and the Nebula Award, which is given for fantasy. Um, and these are not the typical stories that you would assume would fall into that area, but they are like the literary version of that. And that's what Kelly Link sort of traffics in uh, primarily as well. Um, so we should we should discuss the Law and Order story. Yeah. Let's get into yeah. it. I am going to admit I did not finish it. I made it maybe 10, 20 pages, and then I texted both of you guys to ask, is this really just going to be summaries of made-up SVU episodes, which I have never seen a single episode of Law & Order SVU. I don't know who anybody is. I didn't get any of the references. I didn't know if it was actual summaries with new things added or if it was completely made up, and I really did not care. So that's like a huge... <laughs> Misstep from you know, I'll usually yeah. read anything, but 70 pages of that, no. And in a short story collection, I just wanted to move on to the next one. I'm not gonna like, and you know, I so that's like that's that's the 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 my problem or where I stand on this book is like you have something as great as that first story, and then I think you have something that just fails and it just you know becomes a gimmick with this SVU thing. It just feels like want to be George Saunders, want to be, you know, something clever. And it's, it, it, I don't know what it's, I mean, did you guys get something out of it by the end that well, I should have? I think it, it was a case of the form idea was so exciting that like she rode away on the wave of the idea. You know what I mean? Like because yeah. SBU has that many episodes, the story had to be that long and insane. Um, and if it had been cut down to like a quarter of the size, I think I would have enjoyed it. Like I liked the weirdness. I liked some of the like imagery and I, I, I even liked the premise of it, which is, just, or I guess the emotional premise which was like, why are we addicted to these stories about dead women? You know, I think that's a big question in our culture right now. And I would mm -hmm. love to hear that like thought about more, Totally. but this was, it was epic and not... <laughs> Not in a good way. Like, it wasn't the longest story <laughs> in the collection because it needed to be in any artistic way. It was the longest story in the collection because SVU has a lot of episodes. Right. So, okay. So, I feel several ways about the story. The first way, I was like, man, this would have been a great 
1,000 word piece in McSweeney's. You know, the, the online version of McSweeney's. You can read it in the bathroom and you're like, oh, that was amusing. Right. Um, and then I was like, well, gosh, if I had seen more than like 10 episodes of SVU in my life, this might be even more amusing. And then as I kept reading, as 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 an hour elapsed in my reading life, <laughs> I began to understand what she was going for at a higher level. So, okay. When we think of the great mythology of our time, um, it is television, right? And when we think about the mythologies that that alter our landscape, that change our world, it is now, above all else, television. And so here she has undertaken a episode-by-episode retelling of the mythology of Law & Order SVU as something entirely different, except that what starts out as a funny premise, just like, oh, she's just going to keep doing that. <laughs> and, so, and so while I get the larger purpose, and I understand that to actually go through and list every single episode of SVU and write a new um, description of what the episode is, and we'll, we'll read a few of them. Um, like, I understand that as an exercise in saying, this is what we've done. We have marginalized women to the point that we take their the the sexual violence against them as our entertainment for 27 seasons or whatever it is um and here's what i have turned it into like i almost i i almost thought this would be better as this is going to sound absurd but it would almost be better as like a modern art installation where it was changing in front of us every moment, you know, like the log line and it'd be like, you know, like the online TV guide thing. And instead of the normal thing, it would be this fake. That's a great idea. And if you, and if you walked down like a long hallway with all of them written down so you could see the accumulation in a physical way, but not have to fucking read every word. (laughs) Cause you just could experience it and be like impressed that the, the artist spent this long, you know, working on the project. Yeah. I mean, I will argue that it. it did add up to more world building and a plot. Like it wasn't a pointless list. So yes. I just do want to throw that out there as well. No, no. But I agree. I, it needed something else. Yeah, it, it becomes something larger than than the conceit itself. But the conceit itself is like, like if you're just, it's like a, it's a Tuesday and you get home from your shitty job and you're like, I'm going to read a book for fun. And then you land on the 70 page retelling of every SVU episode. Like, yeah, yeah I'm just going to watch SVU. It's going to be better for me. Um, so let's read a couple of them. We'll, we can just pick them at random. So Ryder, since you didn't finish uh, the story, give me a page number between 65 and 125. Uh, 118. 118, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to drop my finger down. Um, This is from season 11. The episode is Savior. (laughs) One night, Lucy knocks on Benson's door. Your gun, she says. Benson frowns at her. What? Lucy seizes the gun from Benson's holster. Benson makes a grab for it, but not before Lucy smears something on the handle. A gift from Father Jones, she says, handing it back to her. And this actually is season two of uh, Law & Order SVU. Um, Taken is the name of the episode. It was dark, says Stabler's wife. I was walking home alone. It was raining. Well, not really raining. Spitting, I guess. Misting. It was misting, and the light from the street lamps was all pooled and golden and thick as oil. And as I was breathing deeply, and it felt healthy, healthy, 
and right to be walking through that night. Stabler hears the drumming again. It shakes the water glass on the nightstand. Stabler's wife doesn't seem to notice. Yeah, because she was raped. That's what that's about. All right. What a fun <laughs> game this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like classic corner with SVU. So it goes on like that for 70 pages. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So this is this is something that I think about when making a short story collection. So I've, I've written two. Um, one was just an accumulation of stories I'd written over many, many years, and we put 10 of them together into a book. The second was a short story collection I wrote to be a short story collection. And then the third one that I'm doing now is a short story collection that I'm writing to be a short story collection. I wonder if she wrote these stories to be a story collection or if these are the stories she picked for her story collection. Because I think it matters. I think it makes a difference. Because a, a story like this, it doesn't actually seem like it right. fits with the other stories that are in here as it relates to the length, but also the the, the cultural subject matter doesn't seem like it exactly lines up. Yeah. I don't know. It's more poppy I'm, I'm, and referential yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. So I'm curious about that. Um, and, and maybe it doesn't matter because maybe if you just read this, if you read a short story collection... You know, over the course of a month, you know, every day you read one other story or whatever, or every two days, then maybe it just feels like something cool and new that you're reading. But if you read it in a row, it really sticks out like a thumb. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's an odd experience. And as a writer, when I'm writing a story collection, it's something that I think about. Like, I, I want to put together the stories in a story collection so that it feels like you're reading a novel. Now, I know that sounds weird, but what I mean by that is emotionally i'm trying to pay attention to what the reader is experiencing so that i'm putting in stories in a right. certain order like a to create tape. the ebb and flow yeah right. to create that ebb and flow emotionally this freezes your emotion in place like like deep freeze like yeah. i came out of that and i was like well i don't i feel yeah. i'm numbed now and that's a it's an odd thing to stick in the middle although of, to your point it book. does come right after a really heavy story about abuse um, so that yeah. is an interesting choice. Are you talking yeah, about mothers? I think it's a, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So mothers kind of set for me, you know, once I got to mothers, I, I, I started seeing what I, a pattern in her writing that I, I think, you know, SVU story aside kind of holds true for all of them, except the first one, which is her stories begin incredibly overwritten. The prose itself, the, the level of detail, it's a little difficult. It's dense and mm -hmm. it's hard to figure out, you know, because you don't know where you are in the world building, you, you know, you don't know what's going to be real or not. And then by the end of the story, it's underwritten. It's like she's, she's withholding information from you or, you know, not describing scenes fully. So you don't really know what's kind of happening. And that felt a little tricky to me. You know, that, mm. that her, that her level of, you know, the, the, the level of information or the access you have to the characters or the plot itself recedes as the story goes on. And, you know, I, I think the Black Mirror comparison is apt. Yeah, it's um, a good one. It, 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 it's, it's a sort of like, 
there was a little bit of like wah wah at the end of every one of these stories for me <laughs> because you're reading like what's driving you is right. the mystery right. of like what is happening in the story right. why are these people disappearing why is this you know where did this baby come from what you know there's a question that begins every single one of these stories like a big question and it's a world building question and she's overwriting to sort of cover up that question and you're like desperately trying to get through the story and all this dense prose and like really like really a purple you know purple language like it's 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 a little much at times but you're willing to get through it because you're driven by a question mark that she's set up but then by the end of most of the stories it's it's she avoids answering the sort of central question <laughs> or she just hints at like and yes the body in the basement was real and i said goodbye to it and then i died or whatever and you're right. like well, well, wait wait did you just jump through like, or, you know, mothers, I don't really know what's going on. Like, I'm, I'm assuming she's having a mental break, but I don't know if the baby's real. I don't know what, you know, and it's, it's, it's a little uh, unsatisfying, uh, except for that first story, which is just perfect because it brings you back to exactly where you thought, which is the ribbon's going to come off and she's going to, her head's going to fall off. But in right. the meantime, you've learned so much and you've experienced so much and it's been, she sort of maintains the same level of divulging information and, and scene work. Whereas in the other stories, it's like she retreats from scenes. She, you know, retreats from explaining what's going on, like actually literally, which can be okay, but in this case, it's a pattern throughout every one of these stories that that kind of bothered me ultimately. And and is you know, I'm excited for her next collection because I feel like this this has probably become obvious now and to her hopefully. Um, and I think she's so inventive, and I do think she's a brilliant thinker and and at most times a brilliant writer. Uh, but you know. There's 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 nothing effortless the way that like George Saunders is effortless or Amy Bender feels effortless like their world building the actual writing itself is breezy you get through mm -hmm. it very quickly and and so when when you have those question marks the mysteries of like where is this going or where is this ending up it's still it's still an easy ride whereas this time you know they're they're like the resident is is a slog yeah. to get through at times well um, but so okay but in the resident she actually has a thesis statement essentially about everything that you're just talking. Yes, about yes. um so if you're uh, reading along at home it's on page 203 um a character says to the narrator do you ever worry about writing the mad woman in the attic story uh rude and the narrator by the says, way <laughs> fuck you pardon me fuck you to that character that was rude <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's she's lydia? i person. hate lydia <laughs> yeah uh i'm afraid i don't know what you mean you know the old trope writing a story where the female protagonist is utterly batty it's sort of tiresome and regressive and well done here she gesticulated so forcefully that a few drops of red spattered the tablecloth don't you think and the mad lesbian isn't that a stereotype as well do you ever wonder about that i mean i'm not a lesbian i'm just saying and then uh, the narrator says she isn't batty or mad i said finally she's just she's just a nervous character and then she goes on to say she's me more or less she's just in her head a lot and then lydia says so don't write about yourself Rude again, lydia. <laughs> and the so narrator says Men are permitted to write about concealed or men are permitted to write concealed autobiography, but I cannot do the same. It's ego if I do it. Um so like clearly the author recognizes this thing that she's doing, right? I mean it's yeah. also yeah. it's also in the Shirley Jackson vein. Yeah. Um and Julia just read that Shirley Jackson nonfiction book, so that that's probably helpful. Um so it's in that Shirley Jackson van, the, the batty woman in the attic or whatever. But so when you get to the resident and 
and the, she sort of breaks the fourth wall and talks about the thing that you've just experienced, yeah. then you, you're forced to ask sort of these larger questions. Now, for me as a, as a, and for you guys too, I presume, as readers who are also writers and artists, you get to that, and you're like, oh, that is not a fascinating discussion about the essence of art. But if you're just at home reading, are you like, oh, these self-indulgent fucks talking about themselves? <laughs> like, does, does the average person get turned off by that in the way that we find it amusing or interesting? I, I got turned off by it. I mean, I'm, I'm an average person, I guess, because I totally got turned off by it. Because it felt, it felt like, it, it felt like gimmickry to... It, it, it was like a way to point out the sort of biggest flaw in her writing um, and therefore paper it up. You know, it felt like it, it didn't it didn't feel like, like that did not give more insight to the story. That just mm. that just was a way for 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 Machado to comment on her own writing and to comment on her own themes. And uh, I didn't get much out of it. You know, like by the end of that story, I enjoyed that story, actually, but I didn't get much out of it. I don't know what to think about it. Um and and I'm not interested to keep thinking about it. Actually, I, I liked the gothic, creepy ghost story version of it, and I kind of wish she'd just done that. Like, I kind of mm. just wish she'd t- you know done a version that didn't need to be so self reflective. Because I don't know what was added by that. Yeah, I agree with you, Ryder. In a way, although as usual, I think you're being like especially harsh. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Ryder strong is bad or anything. Him? <laughs> I was I was feeling that feeling that you're talking about, where I was like distracted by almost an excited way which is bad too of like what's going on I'm gonna figure it out rather than just like Mm -hmm. living in each paragraph to paragraph um yeah and I think the fiction like this that I really like like Kelly Link was my big comparison to Todd is like I don't need to wonder if it's real if what's happening is like really happening because Obviously, it isn't. It's fiction. So I'm completely fine with like a mound of flesh living in someone's basement and haunting them and then comforting (laughs) them when they die. I don't need to wonder if like it's in her head or not, um, because it's in all of our heads because we're reading it. So um, I think playing with that is, I agree with you, Ryder, annoying, but reading it like six or seven times for me had the opposite effect where I was like, this is just the theme of like the multiple selves and memories that women are occupying. So I ended up unbothered at the end of the road by what you're describing precisely because it happens so many times. Um, right. Mm. And in certain stories, like she does kind of just come out with what's going on. So to go back to the fashion one, um, which I really liked, even though it's the simplest and most obvious, which probably makes me a dumb, dumb, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that story. It's a good story. Uh, it's short. I, I found my, well, the best part. I I just felt I just enjoyed it as a love story. Right. Yeah. Like I, I you know I because it has this big idea, but then I was just like, oh, I'm emotionally invested in this couple yeah. and in this relationship. This is tragic. But yeah, so that was that cool because that took like, me by surprise. Women are fading away. Um, we don't know where they go. Everyone's afraid they're going to fade away, and they're scared. And here's some of the places they go. That's the entire story, plus the love story of the yeah. specific two characters we're following. Um, but that one I didn't feel was withholding at all. It was saying like, you know, a lot of commentary that I think a lot of women at all ages, which is important for this story, can consider what their what fading away means, what giving their bodies to fashion means, or like wanting to fit into these creepy dresses 
means, I mean, there's a lot to chew on there beyond, you know, issue And then the story like Inventory, um, you know, so a story like Inventory where it's an inventory of every person she ever has sex with, um, this is one of these things that I see a lot of. Um, So I see a lot of stories like this where people are applying to graduate school and they've written a list story and it's it's a list of everyone they had sex with or a list of every house they lived in or a list of every dog they had or a list of every disease they've encountered or whatever it might be. Um, and so when I started this story and and it's, it starts with, with Jurassic Park, so immediately I was interested. Um, I was like, oh God, I've read this story before. And then though it flips on its head completely. And so this is the point at which I think, okay, this is a writer who does not give a fuck about convention. And by not giving a fuck about convention, she forces the readers to feel uncomfortable at any given time. And I really like that. I like to be set off a little bit when I'm reading, if I'm not reading something that's plot heavy. So this is this is sort of the larger big question that I brought up at the beginning. Like Short fiction doesn't even need to have a plot anymore. Um, it can just be about a character, about a character's experiences. And a story like this, which is a list of people she's had sex with, as it turns out, we descend into a dystopian reality. And you realize that everything that you thought you cared about, about these sexual relationships and the violence that, that accompanies them oftentimes, both physical and emotional, is playing out with the destruction of humankind at the same time. And do you care equally about both of them? Like it starts to makes you starts to make you wonder like okay if the world was collapsing would i still be pissed off about petty indiscretions that my friends do against me or whatever you well, know but it also it also the form makes sense it's rationalized by the story at the end because it's about a disease it's an it's an epidemic right. that's spreading and they don't know how it spreads and so listing all your sexual partners and love relationships makes sense in that environment you know right. as a way to like keep a diary because you're worried you're wondering about all these people who how are they dying off where are they now you know that so the form make, made sense by the story, which is great. Right. And using Jurassic Park as the metaphor at the Instant top one. Uh, is a I, nice turn as well. <laughs> another thing I emotionally loved about that story, just because I know a lot of women like this. So when you read the story, you're it feels like, oh, cheeky fun list. Um, and then it is revealed at the end that she's keeping lists, lists as a way to like stay sane and like have some kind of control over this disintegrating right. universe. And that alone, the idea of keeping lists to grab some piece of control of your life as it's falling apart is, you know, very powerful. Very cool. The list cool. is a list for a reason, yeah. a lot of reasons. Right. Right. And, and so that's the thing. So for listeners that are, are writers, if you're going to write a list story and I've done some too, I think we probably all have at some point in our lives if we're writers it's got to be more than the list. Like it's got to be something that at the end has that gut punch. And this is an example of a list story that has a huge gut punch at the end. Um, And so it becomes really effective. And then it left me feeling like, oh, I want that in every single story in this book, because now I know she's capable of it in the best stories. And then in the stories where I don't feel it, I like you writer, I'm left feeling a little wah wah by the end of it, and I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. Um, but man, there's there's so much to admire in this book, and so much to admire from her as a writer and as a risk taker. I'm really excited to be able to give some of these stories to students to see what they make of them, and then it's going to be eight thousand different list stories of 
dystopia. I'm just can you just send me the essay that explains the resident story to me because I liked it, but did not. It just left me feeling very disturbed. Yeah, I'll, I'll have when when one of my students writes a uh, a twenty page paper on the resident, Thank I will you. have her CC you on it. So you know, you know what's, what the reason I um, suggested that we read this book is because earlier this year, this is probably four or five months ago, I had two friends completely separately, male friends who only one of them is a real big reader. I, uh, as far as I know, the other one is a big comic book reader, uh, but I don't think he reads fiction that much. They both independently were reading this book at the same time and talked to me about it. And they both loved it and 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 they and wanted to talk about, you know, they couldn't wait for me to read it so we could talk about individual stories. and And I was fascinated because I could tell just from the title and like the summary online that it was like, clearly a female centric, you know, feminist book in a lot of ways. And I, I think it's interesting that it, it appealed to these two male readers completely separately. Um, and I think that's a really good sign that, that the form and the inventiveness uh, and the, the approach that this book takes, you know, it, it's, it's effective. Like, I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, 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 Potentially, I mean, I don't know how well this book did, you know, in terms of sales, but I'm assuming it did. It did pretty well, and I just think it's great that 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 these themes, she 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 gets them under your skin, you know, and that's right. cool. Like, and I think for for you know for guys to be reading a book about like you know the, the ribbon story, but suddenly seeing it from this kind of perspective is really cool. So this was up at the National Book Award in 2017. Yeah. Um, and so it was up against the following books. Elliot Ackerman's Dark at the Crossing, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, Daniel Alarcon's The King is Always Above the People, which was also a short story collection. Uh, Charmaine Craig's book, Miss Burma. Uh, Charmaine Craig is my colleague at UC Riverside. Um, and Miss Burma is a fantastic book. Jennifer Egan's Manhattan Beach, which we hated with a passion. What? Reserved for <laughs> um, broccoli in my house. Lisa Coe's The Leavers. Uh, Min Jin Lee's Pachinko, uh, Margaret Wilkerson Sexton's A Kind of Freedom, Jasmine Ward's Sing Unburied Sing, which won the National Book Award, and Carol Zareff's Barren Island, which I don't have any knowledge of. The judges that year were Alexander Chi, um, Dave Eggers, and let's see. Oh, and Carolina, Wak- Wak- I can't pronounce her name, Waklaviak. Um, where the um, judges, oh, and Jacqueline Woodson was also a judge. Um, so, like you know, they they had a pretty eclectic list of books that that they picked. Um, I had never heard of this book prior to you picking it, though. Interesting, Ryder. So. I had never heard of it. Hmm. Um, but like that was a year where the National Book Award was lauded for its diversity, which it clearly had a, a ton of, and I can understand why this book was picked. I can also understand why Jasmine Ward's book won. It, it, it just, it, uh, uh, she just should have lost the SVU story. She probably would have won. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that she got nominated and shortlisted a lot. And I, yeah. I uh, you know, and I think that that's because it, it is sort of unbalanced. You know, it's not, it's not a complete, it's not a, it's a, not a perfect book by any means. It's just because it has, but it has some perfect stories within it. Yeah. Well, and and seeing Dave Eggers was a judge for the National Book Award that year, it makes sense now that I thought that uh, that one story should have been on Nick Sweeney's. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Right. 
Um, well, I, I really think for, for readers, this is a, absolutely a, a book that is valuable for you to pick up and read. I think there's a lot of good, important writing in it. Um, I would read it slowly. I would not sit down and read it beginning to end. I think it's a fun two, book club book, too. Yeah. If you're out there yeah. picking a book for your book club, I think this is a fun one to talk about um, and for everyone to sort of be you know, slightly scandalized by that's a, that's a good, no, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. that's, those are always yes. the best book club books is when everybody's a little like made uncomfortable by the book and, yeah. um, or an intrigue. And there's a lot of entry points to talking about sexual violence, mm-hmm. which is hard, of course, to find books or topics that can give you a common language around it. And this yeah. book certainly will. And, uh, again, though, if you have a, an issue with either the word straddle or slick. This is not your book. <laughs> and if you do, get over yourself. Yeah. Look <laughs> don't, into that. Don't you, get, don't you guys have words Talk to you, a therapist. you don't like? Like, there's no word that makes you uh, shiver? I don't you have... Know, no. No. You don't have a shiver word? No. Oh, we're going to ask our listeners what their shiver word is. <laughs> I'm sure most of our listeners have a shiver word. Well, they're all going to say moist, and I'm going to be yeah, like, moist that was put in your brain by the internet. See, I moist no longer bothers me because it's my friend Mark's book title, so I've, I've gotten used to it. Slick is still one of those words. Ooh, ah, ah. Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.